we were, you know, pretty forward thinking with regards to this instant answer concept. And that has really turned out to be the future. And I think that's where it's going. I mean, fundamentally, when you're searching, you're generally not, you're not looking for web links. You're looking for answers to your questions. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Nathaniel Eberly, Director of PR and Brand at HubSpot, and I am thrilled to be joined by Gabriel Weinberg. He is the founder of the search engine DuckDuckGo and author of Traction, a book about how any company can achieve explosive growth. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So you decided to go up against a search engine that's become a verb, Google. (laughs) Can you tell us more about why you decided to start your company and go up against a few giants, including Google? And what makes... DuckDuckGo uniquely positioned to take on the big guys. Yeah, so, I mean, for people who aren't familiar, DuckDuckGo is a general search engine, and so you can switch to it, you know, from Google, and and at this point, really never look back. Um, We, I started working on it back in 2007, so it's been been a while at this point. Um, Our thesis really is, you know, focus on things that Google in particular, you know, can't do very easily, not for technical reasons, but for often business, legal, cultural reasons. And to give you an illustration of that, you know, we don't track people. So when you search on DuckDuckGo, you're anonymous. And so you're reducing your digital footprint and those ads that follow you around the internet, that happens a lot less when you're on DuckDuckGo. Uh, But we also do a bunch of other things. So we, you know, have a much fun kind of cleaner design that people really like. And we have an open approach to instant answers where we actually have like a developer platform where anyone in the world can suggest and add instant answer sources. And so we're getting some um, just kind of really cool results coming through DuckDuckGo. So there's some reasons to check it out. Um, how I got into it, you know, I actually have been in startups since 2000, so I've been doing this in a while. And my last startup I sold after about a few years, and I was not that into that product, to be honest. I wasn't like a user. And I realized that whatever I want to do next, I wanted really kind of have founder product fit, you know, really be passionate and motivated about it. And I started a bunch of projects because I didn't really know what that would be. And, you know, not businesses, just side projects. And a bunch of them ended up being search related. And I, I discovered through that process that I really liked um, search. And, and so really got into it, you know, out of personal interest. Great. Interesting. So, Let's jump in the time machine, take us back to 2007. What did the company look like? What did your product look like when it was first starting out? Product was pretty bad. <laughs> um, you know, I, my initial vision was as a Google user in 2007, if anyone can think back there, I was frustrated with my own Google results. And that's what really motivated to start the project. And in particular, I found myself going to these sites like Wikipedia and IMDb and Yelp a lot, and I wanted instant answers above the links, so I didn't have to click on all those links. Additionally, the links themselves had a lot of spam in it then, um, and they still do now to some extent via content farms and kind of other sites that had very low quality content. 
And I thought if you kind of combine those, you would have a compelling search experience. But when I did that and I launched it, you know, I, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, Google had been dominant for eight years or so, and I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in, you know, what I thought was a new search experience or just in general, any search experience. And I soft launched it in Hacker News and just to see if there would be interest. And there was interest, like there was immediate kind of excitement around something new. And so that really moved me forward because this was one of about five other projects I was doing. And if I hadn't gotten motivation at that point, it probably wouldn't have persisted. So it's obviously gone from bad to, to really good. How has it evolved over the years? And you know, how are you looking at it now from retrospectively looking back uh, over the years? Yeah, I mean, there is, if you consider this kind of whole product market fit concept, you know, that first two years from, I launched at the end of 2008, um, from so that until like the end of 2010, you could classify it as the bad period <laughs> where it wasn't that useful. And to me, that meant as an active user, you would want to switch your search engine to DuckDuckGo from Google. Um, so it took about two years to get to that point. And during that point, I really had my ear to the grindstone about what, you know, what people wanted out of their search experience. So I would follow up with anyone who was using it, anyone who said they left, um, and try to figure out, you know, what drove them to switch search engines, what kind of features and experience might be useful to that. That's, that's also how I got on, um, you know, ended up thinking about search privacy and not tracking users. Um, but basically for that first two year period, I was just iterating to try to get something that people would switch to. After that point, from 2010 onward, we've really been more of in a growth, refinement, focus period to reach bigger and bigger audiences. Great. Gabriel, so we've looked at the past a little bit, and you've taken us all the way to the present. Let's look into our crystal balls now. What do you think search engines of the future will look like? Can you give us a view? Yeah, I mean... We were, you know, pretty forward thinking with regards to this instant answer concept, and that has really turned out to be the future, and I think that's where it's going. I mean, fundamentally, when you're searching, you're generally not, you're not looking for web links. You're looking for answers to your questions. Um, and since, you know, the last 10 years, essentially, thousands of startups and data sources have popped up that are great at answering questions for very specific verticals. You know, there's you know, databases for Lego parts and municipal bonds and like every category you can imagine, there's a mm -hmm. great site that has good answers. And so the future is really delivering those answers to you without, um, you know, having to dig through web pages. Excellent. So I'm wondering, anyone who's listened to that great meta podcast startup uh, will remember Gimlet Media's Alex Bloomberg on his quest to find a, a co-founder for his company. And side note, anyone who hasn't checked out uh, Startup uh, should definitely take a look at it. It's it's a great podcast series. It's new episodes. New episodes are, are coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I'm curious, you, you know, you decided to start DuckDuckGo on your own. Why why go it alone? Why not take the Alex Bloomberg uh, approach and 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 find someone to to really embark on on the journey with? Do you ever wish you had picked a co-founder? You know, early on, I, I did seek out co-founders, and I just I didn't find a match, and so it was it was more of not interest in having a co-founder, and that I just am not going to wait around forever to find one. 
um, and felt I had the skills to, to, to do it myself for a while. And so that's really what happened. And obviously you did. So you also ran your company on your own for quite a few years. What, what made you decide to hire someone? And, and you know, what was that point? How did you know when you found someone who was the right fit? You know, my, my story is somewhat unusual, I think. I you know, had, had, had sold this company before, but I completely had no investors or employees in that company. And so I had been used to kind of doing things my own outside, kind of in the bootstrapping world. Um, and in the first couple of years of DuckDuckGo2, I was also a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> um, so I was, I was doing it somewhat part-time. It ended up being full-time cause, just because I work a lot, but it was basically while my son was sleeping. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was exploring it until I got to that product market fit point. And then at that point, I realized, wow, people are actually switching to DuckDuckGo. Now it could be something big. And that's when I know decided I should be hiring people now I think other people would have done that very differently and probably would have hired immediately and, and compressed it but that was the point for me like it, when it became really real that people were really switching hmm. I, I, I'm curious you, you know we heard that that DuckDuckGo is now profitable and uh, congratulations on that and that's something that many startups never achieve so uh, you know, kudos, kudos to you. What advice would you give to other companies trying to achieve that, that very same thing? I'm sure when you look back at your, uh, your career, but specifically your time uh, founding DuckDuckGo and, and uh, moving it forward, what are those lessons learned that you could give to some of our listeners who are uh, thinking about taking on the, the, same, uh, the same project? Yeah, I mean, this, this relates to the book. I put a lot of my lessons in there because I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> the first half of my career seeking traction. And, and one of the first ones there is set some actual goals, which I, I never did starting out, even with DuckDuckGo. But I mean, even backing up before that, um, the one major lesson I learned starting DuckDuckGo, what I alluded to earlier, is try to pick. It, it's about picking the idea. So. There's, there's two aspects to it. One, pick an idea that you can really work on for the next 10 years. So this is this founder market or founder product fit. Um, I didn't have that in my last company and I explicitly set that out to get product to go because it takes you know 10 years often for really successful things to happen um, in, in, the, in making a dent in the universe way. The second advice for starting a company is pick a big expanding market, an ambitious idea if you will. Um, and the reason is a bit counterintuitive. It seems like it might be easier to start with a smaller idea that you can see a kind of a path to a million dollars or something. But the problem is, is the, or, or the reason really is, is if you choose an ambitious idea, it's actually just as hard as the smaller ideas. Um, but you get a lot of benefits for doing the ambitious idea because, you know, press and employees and investors are all attracted to ambitious ideas. Sure. Additionally, if you kind of mess up initially on the ambitious idea and you're in a huge market, you can often find success somewhere else in that market. Whereas if you pick something very niche, you're like, if you, you're kind of dead on arrival if it doesn't work. Any companies that you look to that, that you wanted or sought to emulate along the way, you know, those who, who you got checked with? That's a good question. You know, I was a fan of kind of 37 signals thinking early mm -hmm. on when I was starting DuckDuckGo. And you now I was just reading... Um, you know, kind of in a peer way, like the company Buffer, um, you know, I respect a lot and they've kind of 
had growth similar to ours in trajectory and I just literally wrote a post to them going completely remote and you know we're essentially completely remote um, so that's another company that you know I feel is kind of like a kindred spirit to us ever along the way did you ever think duck duck wouldn't go yeah absolutely <laughs> um, I had you know, not high necessarily faith at the beginning that it was going to be anything. And I was running all these different projects and, you know, I had faith that something would work in one of these, but not particular duct to go. And, you know, I've done that twice, starting my last company too, starting a bunch of different projects. You know, you can do a lot of analysis. This relates kind of to MVP and things like that. But at least for me, until you get into it, uh, you know, you really have a hard time not only validating the idea, but validating whether it's the right idea for you. Um, so yeah, certainly early on, I, I had no high expectations. Hmm. So let's switch to traction. We want, want to hear more about that and the, the genesis of it. Um, you know, for our listeners, the traction is, is really about all how companies can set themselves up to grow incredibly quickly. Can you share a few of those Cliff's notes, the few of the main tips from us from the book. Yeah, sure. I mean, so what, what started this was, you know, my last company was successful at growing to tens of millions of users through viral marketing um, and using SEO a little bit. And I came into DuckDuckGo, starting to get traction for that and tried to apply the same concepts and it miserably failed. <laughs> um, and then I took a step back and said, okay, well, is there a framework for getting traction that you can actually use? And there didn't seem to be one, so I went out and started interviewing all sorts of people about their success, including, you know, Darmesh from HubSpot, um, to try to figure out what the process was that people were using to be successful. And in that, this is back in 2009, so it took about six years to write this book, um, five for the first version. And I discovered um, a couple things, and then with my co-author, one that there is a universe of ways that people use to get traction, and we call them you know, traction channels or marketing channels, and we identified 19 of them. Um, and so these are things like search engine marketing or SEO or speaking engagements, and we enumerate all of them. And then that, you know, in any stage of the company taking off and really growing, especially at the early stages, it's usually one of these channels that is dominating the growth. Now, it may be other ones feeding into it, but it's essentially one core channel strategy. And then the third key pillar was you know, it's often an underutilized channel or strategy. So HubSpot was a great example um, that Dermesh told us about the marketing grader, you know, microsite, um, and which is a completely underutilized activity. And that is what we saw again and again. So if everyone is in the industry is using search engine marketing to grow, you probably don't want to do that because that's saturated. And so you, you got to go to other areas. And so then we developed a framework called Bullseye to help you think through about how to find that one channel that's going to get you the growth you need. So let's talk about personal growth. Um, you've even let us know you were up late at night, you're, you're a dad. Um, you've got a lot going on. You're writing books, you're, you've got an insanely <laughs> high-growing company. So obviously you're, you're living by some productivity hacks that are allowing you to, to get by and uh, maintain a, a level of sanity that that leads to productivity. How do you do it? Can you give us any tips on, on that front? Yeah, I mean, I, so it seems like I do a lot of things, but I say no a lot to most things. Um, and I really do try to focus on, 
I mean, I think there's two levels here. One is try to focus on things that you, it, it's just like getting traction. I mean, you got to set your goal, then only choose things that you think are going to move the needle to that goal. Everything else is kind of a distraction. And that's kind of what I do to all projects. And then within like what you're going to work on, I really try to evaluate whether there are kind of leverage activities or not. Um, and try to focus on high leverage stuff. Um, and that's like really where your your time is having some kind of multiplying effect. Um, so like anything that's that's you know wrote, I will try to automate or try to delegate um, and try to stick to to where I add you know unique value. Um, so I was going to give some, some overarching advice. I know that sounds kind of vague. <laughs> no, the the power of no in 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 grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gabriel, this has been a blast. Thanks for joining us today. Cool. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. Thanks. No, thanks a lot. Yeah. Enjoy your weekend. You too. All right, take care. Later. Bye. If you're out there listening and particularly enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with someone you think might like it too. Until next time on The Growth Show.